Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Dr Louise Kugler, a GP, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr Alex Bartle about obstructive sleep apnea in children. Dr Alex Bartle is a Fellow of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners, and he has also completed his Master's degree in sleep medicine through the University of Sydney. He then went on to establish in the year 2000, the Sleepwell Clinic, which is now New Zealand's largest private sleep clinic. Dr. Bartle is a member of the Asia Pacific Pediatric Sleep Alliance, a group of 12 pediatric sleep specialists from the Asia Pacific region, and is one of the co-authors of the New Zealand Guidelines for Sleep Disordered Breathing in New Zealand. Welcome, Alex. Obstructive sleep apnea is one of the most common causes of sleep disordered breathing in children. It is associated with a significant morbidity, potentially impacting on the long-term neurocognitive and behavioural development, as well as cardiovascular outcomes and metabolic homeostasis. I wonder if we could start, Alex, with a definition of obstructive sleep apnea in children. Uh, Obstructive sleep apnea in children is defined as uh, one desaturation uh, lasting at least uh, 10 seconds per hour. In adults that's five, but in children because they don't seem to desaturate or they don't desaturate so much, then we count it as one desaturation per hour is defined as sleep apnea. Alex, how many of our children are affected by obstructive sleep apnea? We think up to 5% of children uh, suffer from uh, obstructive sleep apnea uh, and it's uh, much more common than was previously thought. And it does have a significant impact on the many things that you just described, but interestingly, particularly behaviour. And in fact, a recent study in the States showed that uh, almost a third of of children diagnosed with ADHD actually have obstructive sleep apnea because they're tired. And tired children act out, basically. But it, and, and in addition, it's not snoring as you'd see in an adult necessarily. So it's not the rasping type of thing. It's more an obstructive, um, stertorous uh, breathing that you see. So they're struggling to breathe with trying to get air through this obstructed airway at the back of the throat. Um, and it just re- results in very tired children. What are the causes of sleep apnea in children? In the past, it's been almost exclusively uh, enlarged adenoids and tonsils, um, particularly tonsils which sit behind the tongue and when the tongue falls back, it causes the obstruction. So the bigger the tonsil tissue, uh, the more likely to have uh, sleep apnea. In addition, adenoids, of course, obstruct the nasal airflow, which means that when air is sucked through this obstruction at the base of the, at the back of the nose, the airway tends to narrow uh, as well. Now, in addition, uh, and increasingly obesity is becoming a problem and this certainly is compounding the prevalence of sleep apnea in children. Then we look at the other issues, craniofacial abnormalities, Pierre Robin, even Down syndrome is much more common to have sleep apnea and very much worthwhile checking for because it doesn't have a significant impact on their cognitive and physical growth. Alex, what are the key differences between adults and children with respect to obstructive sleep apnea? Uh, in the end, the, the bottom line is that they are very same endpoints in that they're uh, impacting on uh, normal 
sleep patterns. But the actual uh, area of um, problem with children is that they get large tonsils and adenoids, whereas adults by the age of late 30s, early 40s, have usually the tonsil tissue is usually withered away. Uh, and so it's not nearly so commonly associated with large adenoids and tonsils in, in uh, adults. Um, but remember that adenoids and tonsils can remain large even into the 20s and even into the early 30s, so it's always worth checking to see whether that might be an issue. Um, but in adults it is purely a relaxation of the upper airway, which of course as we get older tends to become more floppy and therefore more likely to obstruct when you suck air through into the, into the lungs. It's more likely to collapse as you get into your 50s and 60s compared with a 20-year-old, for example. In addition, there are certain things, of course, in adults that we see, like alcohol is going to make things much worse, which, of course, we hopefully don't see too much in children. Um, and uh, things like sleeping tablets can make it worse as well. So there are certain medications that will tend to exacerbate sleep apnea in adults. Uh, whereas in children, it's uh, obesity and large adenoids and tonsils are predominantly the, the reason for sleep apnea in children. What are the consequences of obstructive sleep apnea in children? Well, as mentioned in the intro, uh, there are a number of uh, uh, aspects of this. Of course, children get tired if they obstruct repeatedly through the night. And tired children don't go to sleep like adults do. They act out. They become hyperactive. And uh, so their behaviours become much worse. Uh, they um, become aggressive in the playground, they don't concentrate on things. So very much like uh, ADHD type, to, um, it looks like ADHD in, in many respects. But there are many other things now. There's very good evidence that it affects uh, cardiac uh, development, for example, in, uh, enlarged um, heart muscles, uh, hypertension even in children. We don't often take blood pressure in children as uh, GPs, but in fact it, there is significant evidence of uh, hypertension in children, um, particularly uh, right heart uh, hypertrophy, for example, is a, it can be a problem. So it does have a lot of physical impacts. Uh, it can be cause uh, obesity, it can cause obesity in that um, children when they're tired they tend to want to eat more, as we do as well, as adults. Um, or it can stunt their growth and in fact often by treating uh, children with sleep apnea they often suddenly um, become very much more healthy children in, in physical ways as well. Their immune response is, is affected so they're more likely to get coughs and colds more easily or, or should we say fight them off less effectively. Um, so it does affect immune systems as well which is important. Thank you Alex, some great points there. So what questions should we be asking our parents? I think one of the aspects is that we, adults don't often expect children to have any sort of sleep apnea. Uh, and so actually just making them aware that that is a possibility is really important. Uh, particularly if you've got a child who is a little bit hyperactive, who's racing around your surgery and not concentrating, you know, the typical thing in your surgery when you're trying to talk mm. to mum and, and the child's uh, destroying your surgery room. Um, so just asking, uh, do they snore, but not necessarily snore like dad snores. It may be this stopping and starting of breathing at night, and that's often not recognised, and, and yes, you're pretty close to them. So just going in in the evenings when they're sleeping, just checking how their breathing is, for example. Mm. Uh, they often sleep in funny positions with their neck extended so they'll, they'll be on their tummy with their neck extended to try and keep the airway open or with their head over the end of the bed trying to trying to get an air uh, the air in for example um, they will get more tonsillitis so it is a factor that that may be uh, a compounding reason why 
taking tonsils out would be a good idea. Um, how they are in the morning? Are they grumpy in the morning? Having had a reasonable sort of 10 or 12 hours sleep, are they still grumpy in the morning? Uh, and uh, their emotions will be all over the place. Well, children get emotion anyway, but particularly if they're tired. And one minute they're crying, and the next minute they're laughing, and all, all over the place. So emotionality is uh, exacerbated as well. We are starting to think this child may have obstructive sleep apnea. What do we need to look for on a physical examination of the child? Interestingly, uh, they can be completely normal, of course. So it's really in history that we're going to uh, find out whether they've got um, sleep apnea or not. They can have very large tonsils and it may not obstruct. Mm -hmm. So uh, don't automatically assume just because they've got big tonsils they're going to have sleep apnea. On the other hand, the tonsils might be not be that big, but they're obstructing for large adenoids, or they've got a, they're obese, for example. So it isn't just adenoids and tonsils. And of course, GPs as GPs we generally don't look at adenoids, but tonsils certainly are very easy to see. And even asking parents to just check in the pair the child's throat, they're not difficult to see, and they can Google what tonsils look like and and make their assessment as well. So. Um, we would ask, for example, uh, dental technicians to keep an eye open when they're doing their dental examinations. We'd ask primary school teachers or teachers to be aware that their children might have uh, some uh, sleep problem if, they're behaving, if their behaviour is difficult, for example. So there are a lot of avenues where we can approach this, uh, not just from general practice. But of course, uh, we are in a prime position to be able to do something about that. So they're not necessarily obese. If they're obese, they're more likely to. If they've got um, an undershot jaw, if they've got a, a narrow fatties, for example, um, or a, a little micrognathia, for example, or a, um, just a very large tongue. We see a few of those with the big protruding tongue, even in sort of four or five-year-olds. They're quite likely to have sleep apnea. So these sort of upper airway type of examination. Nasal uh, obstruction, really as long as they can breathe through their nose and it's not obstructing at the back of the throat. Polyps are much less common, I think, in children than it would be in adults. Uh, but we're looking at obstruction with the adenoids at the back of the throat. Then, um, uh, children who mouth breathe, very commonly associated. We do encourage our children to um, nose breathe as much as possible. It's certainly, there's no question that nose breathing uh, does relate to better development of the maxilla and mandible. Finally, we look at breastfeeding, for example. Uh, there was very nice studies done, uh, I think it was in the 80s, uh, where this guy Palmer looked at um, breastfeeding versus bottle feeding. And the mechanism of feeding is quite different. And he found that those who breastfed had a much wider posterior pharyngeal area than those with bottle feeding, for example, which was quite a nice uh, little promotion for breastfeeding as well. Excellent. Thanks, Alex. Always into promoting breastfeeding. So thinking about growth, we can either see a small child or an obese child, so serial growth measures must be important? Yes, I think if, uh, if these Plunkett charts, the growth charts are not going normally, it is one of the things you would ask um, about all sorts of other things, like the parents might be two tiny people anyway, but uh, it's one of the things if it's not going up the normal gro growth uh, chart that we would expect, then asking if they might have sleep apnea is a really good question to ask. And just doing physical examination ourselves, just looking in the throat is basically the, the first thing you do. What would the red flags be, Alex? In children, uh, it is behaviour. 
that's the number one thing really that seems to keep cropping up is uh, it's the obvious thing. We don't really know about hypertension in children unless we specifically look for it or cardiac abnormalities, but certainly behavior is one of the first things we look at. So difficult children, children are waking up tired, children are acting out in the playroom, they're, they're aggressive, uh, not concentrating. So those sorts of things are worth just checking on, uh, as well as checking the growth chart, of course, making sure they are growing in the normal fashion. If parents might be worried about these sort of things, then it's always worth asking, do they snore, do they snuffle at night, do they lie in a different position? Sweating at night, of course, is very common in children, uh, but that can be exacerbated, of course, with sleep apnea. Um, children with secondary enuresis, for example, it's another uh, factor I hadn't mentioned that, um, uh, you know, they've been dry, but then they start uh, wetting again. That's co commonly associated with sleep apnea. So we have a child that we may think has sleep apnea. How do we make the diagnosis? Traditionally, of course, it's been done with uh, full polysomnography. Uh, that's an overnight sleep study measuring brain waves and uh, chest movements and oximetry. Unfortunately, it's very limited in New Zealand. Uh, even uh, Starship struggles to uh, cope with just that. I think they've got only two beds d dedicated to children. Uh, Wellington have two beds that uh, they use occasionally for children. So basically what's being used much more commonly these days is just oximetry. Now the downside to oximetry of course is that children don't desaturate very much. If you're a 60 year old and stop breathing for 10 seconds you're going to desaturate quite a lot. If you're a 5 year old you're not going to desaturate very much. So it, it, if you've got desaturations prevalent in a child when you do oximetry they've definitely got sleep apnea. So that it's worth doing to include it in, uh, but it doesn't exclude it. Uh, you can have um, fairly normal oximetry, but they can still be uh, obstructing uh, and having some sleep apnea. So really it is history that still predominates in terms of children's sleep apnea. Um, oximetry, it's always worth doing. Um, we do level three studies, which uh, um, adds to just the oximetry, the airflow. So this measures chest movement, versus um, a nasal airflow. So that uh, when, you, when they're obstructing, they will still get chest movement, but the airflow stops. So that those two parameters change. Whereas normally, of course, airflow and chest movement occur together. Um, so when you obstruct, they, um, they, uh, there's no airflow. So uh, they, they separate. So the, the level three is, is helpful, but putting a level three monitor on children overnight is not very accurate because they toss and turn and they'll tear things off and uh, so it is actually much more difficult to do these studies in children than it is in adults. So really in many cases in New Zealand it's really undertaken by saying do you have the symptoms of sleep apnea, are they snuffling and snorting and have they got big tonsils. Mm. And in many cases if these all, are, all these boxes are ticked often ENT surgeons will go ahead and take tonsils out anyway. And apparently, uh, I'm, I'm led to understand that more tonsils are being taken out now for, for uh, sleep apnea than there are for tonsillitis, which is interesting. So ENT surgeons are taking this seriously now, which is great. So we need a sleep study. Who do we refer to, Alex? I think if it's uh, banned or obvious, uh, they're children who are behaving differently, they've got huge tonsils, then straight to an ENT surgeon. And I think they'll be very aware of what's going on now. If there's doubt, uh, then obviously a paediatrician or one of the sleep clinics will certainly be able to do some more testing. These level, these oximetry and level three studies, which is the uh, respiratory um, leads as well. Um, and of course, a lot of children 
or not a lot, some children who have sleep apnea um, are under the care of paediatricians anyway. I mean, the, the people with craniofacial abnormalities, the Down syndrome or what have you. So I, I think mentioning it to the paediatrician that they're under would be a good idea just to make them alert, alert to that possibility because um, this isn't a, a feature that's been taught in undergraduate medicine uh, and even we, we looked at paediatricians who are uh, aware of these sleep disorders they know about it like GPs know about it, but uh, it's not always on their radar. So if you, as a GP, think you might have a child who was sleep apnea, it's worth just making sure that the, uh, the paediatrician gets to know the, of your suspicion. We've made the diagnosis. You've mentioned ENT, but what are the other options? Clearly obesity is a problem and that, that, uh, that could be tackled. Um, it's never easy. Uh, us just saying, you know, GPs just saying do more exercise and eat properly is a very simplistic way of looking at it. It's, of course, completely correct, but it's never easy to do that. So it's usually my sessions with uh, children are usually sessions with the parents, to be honest. So it is uh, making them aware of what they can do to try and help their children uh, maybe lose a little bit of weight or get out and do a little bit more exercise. Uh, leave their uh, iPhones and iPads mm. a little bit more. But uh, in general, it's uh, adenotonsillectomy is the, is the number one. It's approximately 75 to 80% effective uh, and often very effective. Almost within two or three days, the child's, child's a different child. And we see that uh, quite frequently. When they've, uh, even when they've gone in for tonsillitis and they've had tonsils out, they are different children often within a day. We've always put it down to the fact that oh, they haven't got this, you know, lot of uh, infection at the back of the throat. But it actually may well be that they're actually starting to breathe properly at night. Mm -hmm. So uh, adenotonsillectomy is the, is the main one. But there is a section of uh, children, uh, not infrequently, who um, have had adenotonsillectomy, but still very tired, still seem to be snuffling and snorting. And in that case, um, there are um, strategies, for example, rapid maxillary expansion, uh, just opening up the posterior pharyngeal space with um, dental devices. Particularly in that age group, uh, six, seven, eight, nine, those sort of uh, just uh, pre-puberty sort of age group. Once you get into um, adolescence, it is a bit harder to open up the airway. Um, and certainly it needs to be done over a number of months, so it's not a quick fix. Uh, but it does seem to open up the posterior area, which uh, can be helpful. So dental devices can be helpful, and obviously they need fixed teeth as well. It's no good doing it too early, otherwise the, the teeth aren't uh, secure enough. Um, so surgery, uh, dental devices. In this extreme situation, of course, CPAP is used. So it can be used in children, and it can be very effective. Um, but uh, always uh, with the mouth devices and CPAP, you do have to be careful of any possible side effects that can happen with using CPAP over a long period of time. But frankly, that's usually not the GP's concern. It's more the people who are actually uh, providing the CPAP. So to conclude the podcast today, what are your take-home messages for our listeners, please, Alex? I think the first one is to be aware that, uh, that sleep apnea can occur in children. It uh, needs to be on on your radar as a, as a possibility to consider, particularly if you're looking at um, behavioural issues in children. Um, if they're tired, uh, if their growth isn't going up the right pathway, uh, even with a recurrent tonsillitis, you've got big tonsils, they're more likely to get a bit infected. So uh, just looking at that aspect of it, not just um, applying them with antibiotics constantly. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I've, it's always worried me that um, you know six or seven, seven or eight bouts of tonsillitis before they tonsil. If you can imagine how much antibiotics they've had in that time, how much time they've had off school, and their, their effects. So, um, adenotonsillectomy for sleep apnea. They may get the tonsils out a little bit earlier if that was uh, put on the diagnosis sheet. Thank you, Alex. It's been a pleasure talking to you. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellow.org. Thank you for listening.